Hello, and welcome to the Real Heroes of E-Commerce podcast. I am your host, Jason, and on this show, we interview regular customers to get their perspective on marketing and online shopping. In today's show, it's a bit of a roller coaster. Wayne from California joins us to talk about his wild career in space science and technology, and we even get into a little about AI security and probably some facts that you might rather not know. It is a good one, so hope you enjoy. Hey, Wayne, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. So, yeah, no, we were just talking. Um, this is the uh, IEEE, or excuse me, uh, AAAS, uh, American Association for the Advancement of Science, which is like Geeks on Parade. And um, the, on the back, it says, uh, ask me why. And uh, sometimes I will just wear this when I'm like out with my wife or someplace and, you know, feeding pigeons in the park or something. And somebody will come up and say, well, tell me why. And I go, uh, do we know one another? And, you know, I forgot, I've got it on the back of my shirt. <laughs> For those listening, the, um, this shirt says, I heart science, but the heart is an actual anatomical heart. Oh, it's even better than that. It's actually, uh, I, I don't know what kind of imaging modality it is, but it's all of the arteries and veins of the heart. Oh. So the muscle tissue is transparent. So, you know, it's, it's like in keeping with the idea of being as geeky as humanly possible. There you go. <laughs> Very good. And, you know, what I was saying was, uh, you know, if, if you're an advertising person, um, any white space is uh, an opportunity, right? Like all of the eggs that you get, none of them have ads on them. I've never figured out why, you know. You want, you want ads on your eggs? No, I'm not an advertising guy. But if I were, <laughs> I, would, I would be thinking of doing it. And, you know, I mean, you used to be able to just drive a shopping cart right now. It says, um, make sure that if you need to sell your home, you sell it with Keller Williams, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, it, you know. There you go. And, and so a t-shirt, why, why have a t-shirt unless you have something to say, you know? That's true. All right. Um, everybody, this is Wayne. Um, Wayne, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your life. Um, it's, it's uh, well, gosh, uh, I knew I wanted to be a nuclear physicist when I was seven years, I'm 75. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a nuclear physicist when I was seven years old because uh, we got our first television uh, on the block in New Jersey. Uh, nine miles from the state of New York, or from the from the city of New York, and uh, they had a television show called Walt Disney's Our Friend the Atom, and I went, oh man, I want to do that, and so I ended up being one. Uh, so it's you know it's kind of <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> but um, uh, have you ever heard that song? Uh, when I was a little bitty baby, my mama used to rock me in the cradle in them old cotton fields back home. You must have heard that, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I wanted to rewrite one about my childhood because what we did in my house was we went to the moon and um, we I was living in California and uh, the, uh, you know, John Kennedy said, uh, we're going to land a man on the moon by the end of the decade. And everybody goes, wait, wait what? <laughs> what? What did you just say? And it turns out we did. He didn't live to see it. But uh, my dad uh, was part of that. He was a chief insulation engineer on the second stage of the Apollo. And, uh, you know, my joke is... Uh, if you ever thought it was really easy to keep a million pounds of liquid oxygen and 500,000 pounds of liquid helium apart without having one of them explode, you should try it sometime because it's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> Maybe people should not try that at home. Do not try that at home. <laughs> Do not even attempt to arrange for a delivery of 500,000 pounds of liquid hydrogen at home. You might, uh, get, you might get checked by the FBI if you try that. Oh, I don't even think the number of trucks could get into most neighborhoods. That's a lot, that's a lot of liquid hydrogen. <laughs> But, you know, um, six minutes and three seconds of burn and complete absolute uh, terror. And he was in the blockhouse for every one of them. And they always worked. So, I mean, that was kind of good. And um, I worked uh, on the command. or I worked as a little baby test engineer at the uh, Apollo headquarters in Downey, California, when I was in college. And uh, then when I get out, I worked on the moon rocks, uh, analyzing them um, for uh, we were doing lunar geology. And um, we used uh, Mossbauer gamma ray spectroscopy to try to find the oxidation states. There's a, there's a fingerprint that you can find in rocks all over the world. There's two different oxides of nitrogen called olivine and peroxine. And if you do the olivine peroxine ratio, that's almost a fingerprint for where the thing came from. So if you get a meteor coming in from Earth, it'll have its own, uh, coming in from the sky, it'll have its own olivine peroxine ratio. And we were taking a look at the olivine peroxine ratio for the moon and son of a gun, it matched the earth. So apparently it was not a captured asteroid. It actually came from earth. And, you know, that now is pretty much 
understood by everybody that there was a giant asteroid that hit like two and a half billion years ago and uh, spalled out and caused the moon, but uh, the moon was of terrestrial or was ter of terrestrial origin. So, uh, you know, everything, you know, uh, Congress really thought it was cool to go to the moon. And once we did, they went, yeah, and they cut all the money and everybody got laid off. And uh, a lot of people went out and started driving trucks. And uh, I started writing software and, uh, you know, had a kind of software. Well, uh, you know, I, I wrote stuff for um, looking at the Big Bang uh, uh, residual glow when I was at Rockwell uh, in uh, Fortran. So, uh, you know, Fortran and later COBOL and then uh, uh, assembly language and did a lot of, I mean, did, did a lot of stuff usually as a contractor. Mm. So uh, ended up doing the silliest thing in the whole world was I got a flight instructor certificate and I opened the flying school and you should never do that. Why? <laughs> because uh, <clears throat> the joke is, uh, you know how to make a small fortune in the aviation business? Come in with a large fortune. Or um, <laughs> don't say there's no money in the aviation business. There must be because I left a lot there and I'll bet it's still there. And so, <laughs> but I was a Cessna dealer for uh, 78 to 81. And uh, uh, the aviation industry in the United States, general aviation industry, absolutely crashed and burned. The analogy was the, the, the use of the term was intense. And um, you will hear a lot of reasons for it, but really, 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 it was the sunsetting of the GI Bill after the Vietnam War. Because if you came back from uh, Vietnam, you could get professional pilot training. And so schools were opening up and they were uh, taking advantage of this stuff. And uh, suddenly the bill sunsetted in 1980 and suddenly there were all these trainer aircraft floating around and nobody wanted to fly them because they were like super small, you know, two people with full pockets and dirty fingernails and full tanks and you were all gross. And uh, that's, you can't really fit a family of four and a dog and take off for a weekend and one of those things. So um, there was, there were other reasons, but that was the big one that I saw. So uh, I ended up closing it and uh, we had a gas hall station back when Jimmy Carter was president and, you know, we ended up fighting the oil establishment and we weren't able to uh, do that very well, but we tried. So uh, they have deep pockets. Uh, I hear that? I said the oil industry has deep pockets. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, there was a genuine oil shortage. And uh, so independent stations got uh, allocations from the big ones and we got an allocation from Unical and they fought us tooth and nail and they had better, um, well, one of our partners was a lawyer, but he was a land use lawyer. So they ran out the clock on us. And uh, gosh, um, I ended up working in uh, national security community, um, which was very interesting. And I probably shouldn't talk about it on television. It ended up in, uh, in or on the on the radio, but um, it ended up uh, at working on the Star Wars program in uh, uh, DC. What was and the Star Wars program? The, under Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea was, uh, you know, there was this really cool guy by the name of Janos or John von Neumann, who in about 1946 invented what we now know as game theory. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the notion is uh, if you're a prisoner and the guard comes in and says, well, if you'll tell me, if you'll rat out on your guys, we'll give you a lighter sentence. And you don't know if they rat it out on you anyway. You can, it's called prisoner's dilemma. You can, you can Google it. But you can mathematize the notion of game theory. You know, if um, Khrushchev does this and then we do that, then what's the likely outcome? And are we playing 3D chess here or what? And so... Um, the solution for maintaining world stability was called mutually assured destruction, which is to say, if you pull a gun on me and that results in you absolutely positively knowing that you're going to die, then you won't pull a gun on me, even though you've got one. And so, of course, gun being replaced by nuclear weapons. So that held for a long time. And then in, I believe, 83 uh, Reagan's or 84, something like that, pretty much off the top of his head because he surprised the bejesus out of Casper Weinberger, his de defense department secretary said, uh, we're going to put up a shield that means nuclear weapons can't get to us. And everybody goes, oh my God, that's, that's going to mean that mutually assured destruction is gone. And they're going to try to overcome it and build 10 times as many as, uh, as we have. And, uh, but it didn't matter because he got the money flowing. And so we were looking at space lasers and 
uh, ground-based lasers and stuff. And, and it turns out some phenomenal science came out of it. It was never really deployed. And once he left office, they kind of toned it down a little bit. Uh, it was called the Strategic Defense Initiative. And the, uh, the group was SDIO. And if you look at the O on any Washington program, what it means is the president created it and it probably won't exist after they go out of office. And uh, so SDIO kind of got ratcheted down and they, they did great research, but it got ratcheted down after he left. But um, I kind of went into the oil industry and became chief scientist for the company that wrote the oil spill plans for the platforms offshore of Santa Barbara County. And um, you know, the uh, oil spill by Chevron, by, by uh, Unical, Unical keeps coming up. Uh, on January 21st of 19, 28th of 1969 was what really launched the environmental movement, the modern one that we know. I mean, it wasn't the world's greatest oil spill because this was the oil spill that happened in front of the TV cameras and that's what it took. So it, it did launch the modern environmental movement and uh, suddenly we need oil spill plants. So I, I was the chief scientist for the one that wrote uh, the oil spill plans, but after we wrote the world's greatest oil spill plans, there was no need for any more oil spill plans. So, you know, if your job is to invent tomorrow and then tomorrow comes and you've already invented it, then the day after tomorrow, you're out of work, right? <laughs> That's the way it is in tech. <laughs> but um, we started a company um, to go over to Russia and write software for uh, really critical things like um, uh, computer games. And we wrote the desktop uh, financial software for the American Red Cross and the um, uh, fixed asset management system for a public utility commission in Colorado and a couple of other things. And so uh, we went over to St. Petersburg uh, in 1992 and started a company and, uh, you know, met all sorts of wonderful, I love the Russian people. I never learned much Russian because they all wanted to learn English from me, uh, but they were writing phenomenal software. And um, the guy who was actually the head of our company had previously been the head of the Soviet nuclear program, which was fascinating. So uh, we got on pretty well. And he introduced me to a former KGB guy who had been working on uh, weapons detection or explosive detection. You know, they got into, you know, the, there was the Russian empire and then there was the Pre Treaty of Brest-Litovsk in World War II, World War I rather. And uh, they backed off and gave away a lot of territory. And when Communism came back, boy, oh boy, did they want to get it back. So they rolled it back up again. And as soon as the flag came down on the former Soviet Union in 1991, um, you know, a whole bunch of republics said, hey, we don't want to be Russia anymore. We want to be <clears throat> Kazakhstan and Ukraine and all sorts of other places. And they did. And uh, that didn't sit too well. So there were a couple of wars in Chechnya. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, the Chechen women by by cultural tradition the chechen women were supposed to avenge their male um relatives and spouses and sons and fathers who had been killed in the war so they started uh, carrying bombs onto uh domestic aeroflot flights uh, aeroflot is to russia as the greyhound bus was to the united states yes you could take your chickens with, on it with you mm -hmm. and um they would carry bombs in their luggage and it turns out to be really, really, really hard to find explosives because they have vapor pressures that are so low that they match the vapor pressure in outer space between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. So um, they use a technique for irradiating the luggage with thermal neutrons and it really worked and they found them. So I met that guy and then later I turned that into a company here. Uh, but yeah, we wrote software in St. Petersburg, Russia till 1997. And, uh, you know, for crazy reasons, I decided I wanted to be an accountant after all that time in physics. So, uh, <laughs> and, you know, what, what, well, I mean, you know, when I was over there, there were nuclear physicists that were eating out of garbage cans and, and looking for jobs. Uh, but everybody who was a Russian accountant still had their job. And, uh, you know, that, that image was profound. I mean, liter I, I literally saw them. I was introduced to a few of them. And so um, I ended up taking a CPA test in 2003 and almost passed it, but couldn't study because one of my American friends went over and married a Russian woman and they decided things weren't going that well in St. Petersburg. So they moved to um, Ukraine and they went to um, um, Simferopol, which is the capital of Crimea. And of course, you know, now Putin marched into Crimea. 
uh, he set up a company and called me and says, hey, look, at we're, we got 160 guys here. You hired me. Would you like to become a president and take the company public? And I said, well, yes. So I did, and we did, and we went public. And uh, what was crazy was that uh, <clears throat> I had made just a tiny, 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 tiny accounting. It was, it was kind of a judgment error. It, it, the, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants went both ways on it. But uh, the SEC was favoring the second way I didn't choose. So they wanted me to revise it, but I couldn't because it was during this George Bush second election. And they were so worried about terrorist attacks that all of Washington was closed down and I only had 30 days statutorily. So uh, we withdrew it and then put it back, but we were, we were bought. So I took a Ukrainian software company with 160 people public and then suddenly it was private. And uh, the guy who took it private was an investor phone company guy made a lot of money and uh, he wanted to go after improvised explosive devices and said what would you do you're a physicist and I said as it turns out I used to hang out with a KGB guy who got the solution for airline luggage maybe we can turn it into a tactical vehicle and so he said well that's cool and we set up a company and set up a nuclear research laboratory in um, Redwood City and that's what we did for five and a half years and I've got six patents on it and we still got the only way to really find uh, improvise explosive devices in theater safely, quickly. And uh, a lot of political fighting. You know, another one of those O organizations, this one was, believe it or not, take a deep breath, Joint Improvised Explosive Detect, uh, Device Defeat Organization. <sighs> oh, <That's> yeah, right. <laughs> Started under George Bush and it was carried on under Obama, but ultimately the U.S. pulled out of Iraq and, you know, we we got a grant of a lot of money from uh, DOD and um, some woman who is crazy at ONR decided to make life tough for us and extend it so long that the mandate expired. Don't know what her problem was, but she killed a, she killed an operation for the uh, lunar lander, or excuse me, for the Mars lander, and she killed an operation for uh, a uh, uh, investigation into SS-25 manufacturing facilities inside Kazakhstan. I don't know what her motivation was. I thought we were on the same team, but uh, you know, you move on. And uh, so anyway, I uh, just started doing expert witness work and that's what I do now. So I get calls from people serving life without parole lockups all the time. Can't ever, I, I, I always have to pick up cause it could be some guy in, you know, San Quentin calling at midnight looking for assistance on a case. So I do expert witness work, computer and, you know, digital forensics. I'm not an attorney. I don't do uh, uh, strategy. I normally don't involve myself in the case, but if you want to know what the uh, created date on a file was that was erased two years ago, I'm the guy to do it. And I'll testify to court and go home and I don't have to, have to worry about it. <laughs> Very interesting. Other than that, it's been a boring life. <laughs> That's a remarkable career. You asked. Yeah. So the reason we started talking was um, somewhat related to science, robotic vacuums. Um, I met Wayne on a, a Roomba subreddit, and he, he said he had some funny stories. So by the way, is that's it where cool this started? <laughs> that there is a Roomba subreddit in the world? Mm -hmm. That is too awesome. People like to clean their floors. Yeah. Floors get dirty everywhere. <laughs> Turns out. So um, this, typically we do talk about shopping on this show. So yes. <laughs> what made you want to buy a Roomba? Um, I spend a lot of time working. You know, if you do stuff like I do in court, you know, you spend an hour and a half or two hours decoding somebody's drive. But my God, you know, be in the intervening time, you're, you're backing stuff up and you're researching the latest Microsoft security with different encryption techniques and stuff. So it really it sucks all your time. And I've got a dog and I live fairly close to the beach. And so I get dog hair and uh, sand. I do not know how I get so much sand. There's like a sand magnet under my house. It's only about 1100 square feet, but good golly, Miss Molly, you know, every two days I walk up and it looks like there's a beach in my hall. And it was kind of gross. And my wife out, you know, we, we were deeply in love. We met, uh, 15 or 16 years ago and we got married 13 years ago and we lived together for a long time but she got um, she had a house and I had a house because we had adult children and uh, 
you don't want to sell a house if you live in Santa Barbara County because my God, they're getting more expensive every day. It's the best invest, a better investment that you can make in, you know, transporting, you know, guns to the Taliban. Don't ask me how I know. And um, yeah, well, <laughs> just, just keep your house, you know? And so uh, she, we're together on weekends for, you know, our romantic weekends, but I work like an animal during the week in my house and I don't have time. And the sand builds up and the dog hair builds up. And I was about ready to rip my hair out. And I don't have a lot to start with. And so um, I'd been thinking of getting a Roomba. And, you know, Roomba, actually, um, they're the ones that made the uh, robots that found um, IEDs, the, the smaller ones, the 70-pound ones that were in Iraq. The larger ones, I think, were made by somebody else. And I think they probably lost money on it. But, boy, did they learn their robotics from finding IEDs in Iraq. I can't even tell you. So... Uh, I figured if anybody's going to do it, do it. And of course, I went to the web and read everything and uh, took a look at them at uh, Best Buy. And typically, the guy has no clue what's going on. Uh, how could you with 200,000 SKUs? And so um, Amazon made a good case. But you know what? Here's the explanation I would like to have seen. And I don't even think this is unreasonable. Say, here's what you do. You take this little guy and you push a button. And he's on a docking station and he's pretty smart. He runs around and if he bumps into walls, he remembers it and he draws his own map and all of this other stuff. And he won't fall over the edge of things and he tries his best to not get tangled up in cords, but you know how that goes. And then when he's all done or he's out of gas, well, out of electricity, he comes back and charges himself up. Mm -hmm. And when he does that, there's another vacuum and it opens him up and goes and sucks all the dirt out. And so where the dirt ends up is in this giant bag in the docking station. And then when he's done, he comes back and tells you with a little beep and it comes up on your phone. That's cool. But you don't get that. What, what you get done? is a bunch of stuff saying, we have the smartest mapping around. Why? Why our mapping does it? Like, okay, great. Smart mapping. Good. I know that. In fact, we do smart mapping. Take a look at Google Maps, right? Okay. I know that exists. So tell me what you do from A to B. And it didn't do that. So, I, ah, you know, you can return stuff so easily that I would try it. First thing I did, I, I didn't get the vacuum. I actually got the mop. And the reason is I've got tile on my kitchen floor and it's a giant pain in the keister to wipe up spills. And it's a tiny little kitchen, but I was down on my knees wiping it up all the time because that was the only way I could really do it. You know, it's, it's grout awful. Don't ever do grout for a kitchen floor, important tip. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, never do that. And so uh, I got the little mop and it doesn't tell you what the mop does. It has dry mopping and wet mopping. It's like, really? Dry mopping? I don't even know what dry mopping is. I mean, I got a job when I was 12. One of the things I was doing was mopping the floor of a service station around the corner from my house. Well, I had to use water. And the rest of the guys used to work in the Navy and they had to mop decks. So I think I, I don't understand dry mopping. But um, so anyway, it's goes to this, you know, you get the thing, this big thing. And, and it, I don't think it really explains it. You push a button, it walks off, it squirts water. And then it goes over the top and slowly sucks up the water. Great. That's kind of what I would have expected. But why doesn't somebody and maybe there's something out on youtube because there's everything on youtube but i didn't find it so i just got one and it wasn't big enough and it wasn't going enough so i thought i'm gonna get the big one and it was a thousand dollars and my wife is going do you really want to spend a thousand dollars to keep your place nice and i said it will make you happy my dear because my floors will never be dirty and of course i want to do that <laughs> because I love you so much. And so, and my floors are never dirty. I run it four times a week. It's awesome. So I, I did order it and it comes with like, it comes in a box that's, you know, oh, geez, big enough to fit a dead body. And, you know, and um, a lot of it is gratuitous cardboard and, and stuff. Uh, and you take it out and I, I, I probably should try to give you a picture, but I get this stack of, of recycled containers and it's, it's like, it's, it's big enough for a kid to climb on, you know? Uh, of cardboard, but um, yeah, they work. And it's one little docking station for the robot and for for the the broom and the, the for the Roomba, you know, the sweeper. Mm -hmm. And um, damn, my floors are clean. And you know, only every once in a while, and the, the dog is going, dude, 
what is that? And it just kind of stays clear. Of it. You know, he does, she doesn't bark at her or anything. But yeah, that works like gangbusters. So from a science background, is that why you wanted the robot vacuum? Well, I mean, you know, um, you know, the triple D dangerous, dark and dirt, uh, dangerous, dull and dirty. Those are the jobs that we wanted to replace. Who knew that IBM Watson was going to replace oncologists? But that was premature. Mostly what we'd like to do is replace the the dangerous, dirty and dull jobs. And I don't know about dangerous, but I know that sweeping is both dull and dirty. And I was kind of looking forward to that because, you know, I'd like to, you know, work with uh, defendants in the criminal justice system in the counties of Los Angeles and Riverside. I don't want to be sweeping the floor if I don't have to. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to the one that'll dust the furniture. And I'm not sure how you make that one work. But uh, I mean, I got a dishwasher, right? So we're automating that already. <laughs> That's cool. So did you, where did you buy this one? Did you buy Amazon. it online? Amazon. Amazon. And oh, you know, th th if you think about it, you know, people go, oh, Amazon's replacing brick and mortar. And of course it is. My son owns a furniture store, although it turns out the furniture stores are doing fairly well by selling online. But, um, and that would be my wife calling and I told her, but I'll do it in a minute. Um, you know, I need to buy cables and connectors and stuff for my practice all the time. There isn't a store on the planet retail that's big enough so that I could walk in and look down all the rows and see all the 17 different versions of connectors. If you don't have online access, you can't buy from the world and you can buy from the world. And Did Radio Shack used to have enough of that type of well, you know, I, I miss Radio Shack. I really do. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it used to be, they were the guys that sold resistors. If, you know, it, honestly, in terms of a retail solution, if you need a resistor or a capacitor or something like that, and maybe these days you don't as much, but um, you, can't, um, you can't buy them because there's no place to replace them. Radio Shack, there was a time when the TRS-80 was actually outselling Microsoft in terms of computers. They were the largest manufacturer of personal computers in the world. Oh, excuse me, I said TRS-80. I meant uh, the, uh, I, it, I, I can't, it, it, it ended with 1000 was the name of their, their computer offering. Mm -hmm. I don't know the reasons for their corporate bankruptcy, but it was very, very sad. They, they started out as Tandy Leather, actually, uh, many, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, but you know, it's very, very difficult for a brick and mortar uh, operation like that to survive. Fry's was unable to survive. Fry's went bankrupt. And um, what was Fry's? I don't remember that one. Fry's Electronics? Fry's Electronics looked like a supermarket. They only had uh, 60 stores, maybe. Mm -hmm. By comparison, Trader Joe's has 280. And, um, Fry's sold what you would now see in uh, Best Buy. But in addition to that, they sold um, very, you, you could buy an oscilloscope there. Mm -hmm. You could buy resistors, you could buy memory. There were, there were dim sockets and dims on aisles you could walk down. Um, the other thing that they did was to theme each one of their stores along some silly phantasmagoric notion. One of them, for example, that I remember, it was right near Los Angeles International Airport, was themed after Alice in Wonderland. Okay. They actually, <laughs> you know, the, the uh, letters YJCTMSU, uh, y, you just can't make this stuff up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You would be walking down an aisle where there were RAM, you know, RAM pieces to put into slots, right? Mm -hmm. And at the end, there would be like the Mad Hatter, a full-size <laughs> Mad Hatter that was seven feet tall. And like just random. They had one in the in um, the San Fernando Valley in uh, California in uh, uh, Burbank. And the theory was that a spaceship had crashed with little green men and an enorm and enormous heads, like a Whitley Strieber cartoon. And um, so the entire building had a superstructure that showed a crashed 
phantasmagoric flying saucer that had hit it frisbee style and there was even fake rubble around and you would walk inside and you know like you would be going to the end of the oscilloscope row and there was like a little alien that was aiming a ray gun at you and i mean whatever you know if you got the money might as well do it and um it fries was top of the kingdom for 30 some years and suddenly they just pulled a plug and they were gone i don't know what happened so it's tough uh, and and you know thank goodness for amazon because i can get all this really really super weird stuff uh you know uh, uh scuzzy two adapters 50 pin scuzzy two adapters in two days i could probably go looking for months in a, in a you know in a brick and mortar to try to find them and they're there in 24 hours yeah i don't have to go anywhere and and the guy that's driving him around he's driving he's delivering 450 things you know it's pretty economical for fuel mm -hmm. yeah you don't really think about those really hard to find pieces always uh, that's that's my life find out hard to find pieces <laughs> yeah hard well I, I mean i got one it, I, I couldn't go into the details of it but it's it's basically it's a murder case it's a retrial um i ended up having to go down to uh, i probably shouldn't mention the city police department uh you know homicide division and i had to make forensic copies of 51 devices i have an entire wall in my lab that's nothing but little holders for drives so, you know, just 42 different kinds of devices among 51 total devices. And there was connectors and power supplies and all of this other crap, you know, and you have to have an FBI copier so you don't touch the original evidence, you know, certified to not do anything to the original evidence drive. But, you know, thumb drives and CDs and DVDs and old device, old drives and new drives and monolithic drives and stuff, it's, you know, so that, that's how I live. <laughs> That's really interesting. So yesterday when we were talking our first time, we hit on um, some topics of like social media when we were yes. talking about marketing. And you had some interesting things to say because you know that report just came out from the FCC that they need to take TikTok off of their app stores. Yeah. You know, apparently the... PRC, uh, People's Republic of China, they, they, they call it the CCP, uh, Chinese Communist Party. Um, China is not a democracy, not remotely. It's run by a central government and they make all the decisions. And, you know, an awful lot of the decisions are re realistically are NIMBY decisions. You know, uh, oh, wait, you want to take our nice little village and build a dam back that and you want, there and you want to flood all the acreage that might have been in my family for, you know, 300 generations. So that's that's when when there is dissent, that's an awful lot of it. You know, I'll, I mean, I ran for Congress in 1986. I didn't win, but I, I will tell you that all decisions are ultimately very, very, very local. And um, it turns out, you know, in 1980, I guess, uh, the most expensive Chinese export to the world was human hair for use in wigs. And uh, lots changed since then. Mm -hmm. uh, the government that is there uh, has brought 750 million people from absolute grinding poverty into middle class or higher status in a single generation or maybe a generation and a half. And of course, that's never been done in the history of the planet. So every single thing that you hear about China uh, comes with superlatives. They're built in. I mean, every literally, they're the land of superlatives. Having said that, um, there is no um, democracy they don't even they wouldn't pretend to do that and um in order to do that you really really have to know what's going on in your rest of population and i'm speaking not from a sense of ethics here but more from a sense of um um real politic you know with uh, apologies to henry kissinger whom i've never been a fan of but um it's apparently very important to do face recognition when i was in counterterrorism um, we were working with a company who had, it was an Australian company actually, and their, their developers were from China. And, you know, you, you, you tend to say it today, but you know, what would you like to do in security? You ever, you've never been a security guard, it's the most boring thing in the whole world. When I got laid off from being a physicist at Rockwell, I became a security guard, because uh, that's what a lot of us had to do. I wasn't a security guard for that long. But 
we were working in this electronics assembly plant and I worked the graveyard shift. So starting at midnight, I would carry a little clock and walk around and look at different places. Guess what? Nothing ever happened. But I had to go walk anyway and to turn a little validation system to show that I was there. Security is really a boring business because 99.9% .9 of the time, nothing ever happens. Unfortunately, it's uh, there's an acronym for it. It's um, I think it's rare occurrence, high consequence. There's I, I can't remember the acronym. You know, very, 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 very few people ever carry bombs onto airplanes, but boy, when they do, they don't know about it because it's spectacular. So, how do you do that? Well, automation really helps a lot. That's why we have metal detectors at airports, and. Um, uh, you know what? I was prefixing. What was the what was the original thread? That's terrible. Oh, we that's were talking how, about. That's how you know I'm 75. <laughs> we were talking about TikTok and oh TikTok. So so news. yeah. So you know the the predominant education of the ruling group in China, the Politburo is physicist. There's one physicist in the United States Congress out of 435 people. The majority or the, the, the plurality of the Politburo are physicists. Mm -hmm. They are extraordinarily well-educated folks because there are mathematicians, there are deeply educated historians, there are political scientists, they have absolutely no democracy, but they rule with a very highly educated group. As a result, they have really gotten the message about technology. The People's Republic of China, and this is when I first last did the technology review, had the fastest X-ray camera in the world at 10 million frames per second. They were able, for example, to take a video of a nuclear warhead test and show what was going on as it disassembled, which is the $4 word for blow the heck up, at tenths of millimeter resolution as the time progressed. They could study in detail the tiny little changes on, on items. Um, for there's an ongoing tussle as to who has the fastest computer in the world measured in petaflops. Half the time, it seems like China is doing it. They're working on launching satellites. They're really, really good. And boy, did they get into artificial intelligence. And in particular, you know, they're trying to do what most of the world's intelligence agencies have failed to do which is to say, come up with a computer form of validating what you're saying, um, which would be a superset of lie detection. And I don't know how far along they are uh, because the possibility for making um, uh, mistakes in both directions is large. I actually worked in computerized polygraphy for a while, which is actually, that'd almost be a, a fascinating little talk. But um, mm -hmm. with uh, Paul Ekman and uh, David, uh, David Raskin, uh, who are both fascinating personalities on their own. I don't pretend to have done the research. I was just working with them to attempt to get government contracts with them. But I, you know, did accompany both of them. And uh, uh, Raskin and traditional four-channel uh, four electronic polygraphy and uh, with uh, Ekman on facial recognition, uh, excuse me, uh, recognition of gestures of the human face and their contacts with emotion. So... The Chinese are doing that, and um, there is a concern that they're building an enormous database, and everybody loves an enormous database, but kind of wouldn't we all like to be able to log into it and get their information? That's called science. And if you have an enormous database and you can't all log into it, that could be called pretty ominous. Mm -hmm. And so far, uh, if you lie about it and you're collecting it, you don't tell anybody, and then when you tell people you deny it, that's really not public access, and that's ominous by definition. And I'm sorry that they're doing that. And um, uh, there's nothing wrong with TikTok uh, per se. I mean, I got a grandkid that loves it, 
but uh, who's 11. But, um, you know, um, I don't, I'm, I'm not even necessarily sure how you protect against that. I bought a little microscope. I wanted to be able to do little microscope experiments for my grandkids. And, um, you know, it's 40 bucks. And really all it is, is the, a very, very powerful zoom lens on a little tiny camera. And uh, it asks, can we access all of your contacts? It's like, no, you're a microscope, dude. And <laughs> you're here to see things. You don't need to know who I buy my groceries from so that I can look at a bug. Come on. And, uh, you know, it's made in China. So, you know, I'm not sure what kind of little TCP IP messages they're sending out there, but I'm sure shit, you know, I got to write a, a C program to, to check, check them all and, down, and download them. And they're probably encrypted anyway. So they're going to look like garbage. And no, I'm not going to work on re decrypting your stuff because I'm not going to live that long. So, um, no, I'm not going to use your stuff. <laughs> Sorry. I'll use a microscope or I'll use a magnifying glass. Uh, Mm -hmm. But you know, there's thousands of them out there. As a matter of fact, I did do a case. This is fascinating. It was a case in Los Angeles. It's actually a murder. Won't go into the details at all. Uh, I had to go to Los Angeles County. Yeah, County. It was County Homicide, where they're getting to know me fairly well. And uh, it was a video recorder. You know, it was a, a murder that happened, or it was a killing that happened. It's questioned before the court is whether it's a murder or not. But one of the participants grabbed the 24-channel recorder and threw it over a fence. So LAPD comes by, pick it up, bring it into evidence. Defense case would like to have it fine, go down. Did the whole thing, suited up, put on the ground strap, pop the drive, video record everything, copy the drive with a FBI forensic recorder. It's a two terabyte drive, brought it back to the lab. So I'm looking at it, cannot read it for a love nor money. I put it onto a byte level analyzer and at hexadecimal 256, it said H-I-K-V-I-S-I-O-N. Hick vision, but it turns out the company likes to call it hike vision. Mm -hmm. And they have tech support, I believe, in Missouri. But Googled it on or looked it up on Wikipedia. Oh, hike vision is the largest manufacturer of video surveillance camera in the world. Nominally, if you have a liquor store in Jakarta, Indonesia, you probably have something from hike vision. Since 2010, it has been on the American ITARS list. International traffic in arms regulations for being a wholly owned subsidiary of the intelligence function of the People's Liberation Army. Really? So, and it, what gets even YJC, YJCMTSU, right? Okay. So, the only way that I could read it was to go to a software called Hetman, H E T M A N, Partition Manager a widely used forensic software tool, 1996 Foundation. I purchased it, downloaded it. I was able to read the whole thing. I had a question because the MP4 files weren't readable by others. So I started calling Hetman. Guess where their headquarters are? Kiev, Ukraine. I bought it on the 22nd of February. Too bad for me because their headquarters were bombed. But we're getting back. And so we've been able to read it. But yeah, no, uh, so apparently every time you walk into a 7-Eleven market, at least in principle, the People's Liberation Army is able to get a copy of what you did. Now, if you could use that to stop crimes before they're in progress or get people psychological help or whatever, whatever, find lost children, you got me. But if you're going to use it to control your population, maybe I don't want to be a part of that. You know, and, and I'm one guy. I mean, you're going to show this to people and they're going to go, wait, I got a Heikman recorder here for my, uh, you know, toy store. Maybe I should switch companies. So I don't know. I'm not trying to boycott them. Maybe the others are made by the same company. Maybe they don't do it. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it was kind of shocking, shocking for me. Case in progress. We'll let you know. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I wanted to ask you about, because we talked about this yesterday. It was fascinating. Um, we kind of always joke about, you know, having these robot overlords. Right. Uh, and so you have this vacuum cleaner that's a robot. Right. So when I didn't you plan on it taking over? It doesn't have a name. Okay, it doesn't have a name yet. So I did, I did not anthropomorphize it yet. I could imagine putting a face on it and then giving it a name, but so far I haven't. Okay, let's, let's hear. If you were to name it, what would you name it? Irving. Irving, why? I don't know. It just came into my head. Okay. <laughs> Irving the Roomba. <laughs> so um, do you Go for the non-traditional. <laughs> recent news 
um, that guy from Google came out and said that one of his AI programs, you know, gained sentience. Um, so what was your take on that? Um, I got a bridge I'd like to sell him. It's a really long way from being sentient because, you know, if you were to say something like, yo, robot, how about them Mets? You know, I'm not sure that they'd come back with an appropriate response. Um, I do believe that human intelligence is so vastly more complex than anything that you can get by reading or responses. I mean, how much emotion do you get by texting? There's an, there's an elute language that literally cannot be spoken on the telephone it's in Alaska. It's a relatively small group of native speakers, but it is so dependent upon human gestures and facial recognition that in and of itself, it does not supply enough context. There is a notion in linguistics called context as measured as high or low. Um, high context means a lot of it has to do with facial recognition and intonation, what a scientist would call prosody. And a low context language has very little of it. English is an example of one of the lowest context languages on earth for a whole variety of reasons. It's a widely spoken language that was ultimately the language of slaves because the original speakers were taken over by Francophone speakers after the Battle of Hastings in 1066. And so therefore English adopted a Germanic structure along with um, a lot of Latin and Francophone words for more complex concepts. And that became so difficult in Old English that all of the rough parts got sanded off and it becomes a very, it's, a, it's the easiest second language for you to learn. You can become almost fluent with only 500 words and the reverse is not true for any of the Francophone languages, any of the Hispanic languages, certainly none of the Semitic languages, certainly not Mandarin and certainly not Russian. And so um, not because we were conquerors, because we were the slaves, you know, for hundreds of years. And um, most important concepts, however, still remain high context. And I just don't see that a chat robot is going to do that. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I believe that to be the case. But I, I mean, the, I, I read the dialogue that the guy was writing. He's one of their, he's one of their researchers. And uh, you know, I, it's become popular to debunk him. And I used to write AI back when it was in Fortran and, and Lisp. Uh, you know, I, it would be easy to trick a robot, I think. I, I mean, I would like to try. I would like to take his robot and try to play mind games with it and see if it gets him. And, uh, you know, if it can beat my eight-year-old, then maybe we'll have something, but I'll bet it can't. Interesting. My eight-year-old grand grandson, no, not son. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Usually I end this with just a... Yeah. A, a question relating to shopping online. Yeah. What advice would you give to brands to help them reach people like you? Boy, do you know, well, I don't know what they want to reach people like me because that would make them really weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I bank 300 things a year or 300, between 300 and 350 things a year on Amazon and I have for a number of years. They do a reasonably good job. <clears throat> um, it looks as though the people who write the descriptions um, are rather unfamiliar and they take product literature that was written by experts. Ah, let me, let me just mention this. When I was working at Jet Propulsion Laboratories on the, um, uh, I can't remember which probe it was, 1973, um, Voyager 10, there was a company right next to our headquarters in Canoga Park it was founded by a CPA who was laid off after the aerospace crash after the Apollo. And he was asked to write a manual for the B-52 bomb bay doors. He didn't know flying anything from the, anything about the B-52 bomb bay doors. Mm -hmm. Boeing liked what he did and then later on the U.S. Air Force so much that they, he created a company and he wrote all of the manuals for the B-52. Mm -hmm. He then leveraged that into writing the manual for everything written by Sears Roebuck. His 
requirement for being a writer was that you can write a good sentence and you know absolutely nothing about what you're going to write about. Because if you do, you will make assumptions about what the reader knows and you will inevitably be wrong. Mm. So I would advise anyone putting up a presence. Yes, you have the, the vacuums and all that stuff and the funny things, that, but include at least a paragraph by somebody who can put themselves in the place of the consumer who does not know anything about this and have them explain it. And they could include phrases like, you probably thought that fill in the blank. Well, in reality, fill in the second blank. Mm -hmm. My God, I think people would eat that up. I would. Maybe you might have thought this. Well, you were right. It's everything you thought. That's good, too. It doesn't <laughs> have to be negative. I'm just saying, you know, my, in my case, you plug it into the thing. It goes out and it vacuums and it stumbles around, but it does a really good job. And then when it runs low on charge, it comes back. And a vacuum starts and sucks everything out into a big tower and you dump it every once a, once a week. Mm -hmm. They kind of say that, but just come out and say it. It's just buried in all the other jargon. Well, you know, there's, they, they want to put 2,500 superlative, uh, superlative words into the description, which is okay. I was trying to find, have you ever heard of Verizon Fios? Mm -hmm. F-I-O-S. Yeah. Okay, so I was calling Fios. Hey, what is Fios? Why, Fios is a great, no, 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 no. I, I don't want the fluff words. What is Fios? Is it, well, it's, it's the best solution. No, no. Wait, is Fios just fiber to the curb? Yes. Oh, thank you. That's what I wanted to find. <laughs> it's freaking fiber to the curb. I got it. Okay. <laughs> all the other crap. Yeah, I know. Fiber's cool and all that stuff. It's, just, okay. it's fiber to the curb. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> now I know. That's cool. <laughs> all right. I do not want to keep you from getting your dog clean so there's not so much hair fogging <laughs> up your, your Roomba. There you go. <laughs> Um, no, it's, it's, uh, uh, yeah, thank you. I, I love doing this. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being on. Alrighty. That is all for the show. Don't forget to subscribe. And we do have a Substack. If you want to get the newsletter, you can head over to heroes of and subscribe there until next time.